Good day. My name is Richard Kramer, and I am a non-residential senior fellow at the European Values Center for Security Policy in Prague, Czech Republic. We are EVC, and this is our podcast. Today, I'm pleased to share with you that joining us is Jerzy Nimitz. Jerzy is a doctoral student of security and strategic studies at the Faculty of Social Studies, Masaryk University in Brno, Czech Republic. Primarily, he focuses on Chinese and Russian foreign malign influence in security sectors of Western Balkan states. In particular, he has an interest in hybrid warfare, influence operations, and the role of sexual and gender-based violence in conflict. Yerji worked for the United Nations in Bosnia and Herzegovina, received the award for active development of civil society for co-leading a volunteer project in Northern Albania, and maintains active relations with NGOs supporting survivors of sexual violence in Kosovo. Today, we're going to discuss China's malign financial and commercial engagement in the Western Balkans and the negative impact it has on the environment and other human security issues in the region. We'll have a special focus on Serbia and we'll explore the links there between these various factors and what's driving them. So, Yerji, welcome. It's excellent to have you here. Thank you very much for the invitation and good day to our listeners. So, <laughs> Let's talk a little bit about just sort of China in the in the region overall, and you know how they've been engaged, where they are, um, and and to what extent they they've really sort of been able to engage themselves in the economies of these states. Um, when did that start kind of happening, and, and precisely, you know, what were the factors that drove this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Thank you for the question, Richard. You know, um, China and in the Western Balkans. Uh, we can consider it like a relatively uh, new actor in the region. You know, there are plenty of actors, uh, Russia, the West, uh, Turkey, Gulf states. But for many, uh, China was kind of unexpected actor who rises up, um, you know, in, in the recent years. And um, the People's Republic is coined to the region mainly in the economic terms as you already already uh, outlined and that's that's why i uh, <laughs> said to myself hey Yezi, uh, let's take a look at this because this you know economic political uh, security nexus is often uh, overlooked in in the security a- uh, analysis or in general in academia in security studies so uh, you know china so i took a look at this, um, let's say, economic cooperation, which encompasses also donations, you know, vaccines uh, during the COVID times, um, donations of military equipment, procurement of military equipment and so on. But I took a look at it in, in these economic terms and I, I found out on based on, on data and on ger- also journalist articles from the region, <clears throat> I found out that from circa 2013, China in the Western Balkans, that means those six countries in the Balkans that are not members of the European Union, that China there realized more than 120 cooperation projects that are valued up to some 28 billion of uh, euros. So I say some because uh, a part of these projects is made uh, classified by, by the local governments. So we don't really know uh, what's the matter of these projects. And also we don't know thus uh, uh, the net value, but it should be somewhere around 30, let's say 30 millions of euros. 
And uh, since the region is historically, even as it is, I took a look mainly at Serbia, where China re uh, realizes uh, circa half of these projects, 61, 61 projects out of these 120, and they are valued up to um, circa 20 billion of euros. So from 28 billion in the whole Western Balkans, we have 20 billion of euros only allocated to Serbia, which makes Serbia some kind of, let's say, regional hub of Chinese influence. So that's why China uh, in the Balkans and in, in Serbia. Now, indeed, the, the, the level of uh, People's Republic of China commercial engagement and in, in, in the region is, is, is considerable, as you've outlined. Um, but indeed, particularly Serbia is, is a huge recipient. China provided loans, I think, to 12% of, of the country's $53 billion GDP. Um, and something like, I guess, 80% of Chinese investment in the Western Balkans goes to, uh, goes to Serbia. So let's talk about Serbia in particular then, because this really seems to be the sort of beachhead um, for, for Chinese efforts to project economic and political influence throughout the Western Balkans. But before we go there, um, you know, let's talk a little bit about, you know, I, I love it when you, you recognize that there's, there's all these nexuses, you know, between the environment, between security, um, between economic development, and, and they're all interrelated. So when we talk about environmental security, what exactly are, 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 are we discussing? Mm -hmm. uh, you know, uh, I, I work uh, on the premises of the so-called Copenhagen School of Thought in, in security studies, which means uh, uh, the analysts approach uh, security as divided into five sectors. It's a military sector, political sector, uh, societal sector, environmental sector and uh, economic sector. So from, from that, I derive the, the environmental security. And in particular, it's quite simple. It just means, uh, you know, the security threats, analyzing the security threats that uh, um, somehow impact, uh, be it the local or global biosphere and maintenance of the environment. It's nothing really complicated, but, you know, as the as the security concept in our studies you know, widens and broadens, um, almost everything now in these days can can endanger you know the environment. So it's a bit complicated, of course, uh, from the academic. I'm an academic, so from the academic point of view, the concept is not really you know cemented. It's not some kind of rigid. The debate on whether it's useful or not still uh, is still ongoing. But I use it uh, mainly for the purpose to somehow you know structure my thinking, and I think this. Uh, division into into uh, security sectors is helpful in this regard to realize this is purely connected to environment. This is purely connected to, I don't know, economy or military sector. And of course, often these sectors overlap, but that's the matter of the analysis. No, indeed. Well, I, you know, and your, your work, I hope, is going to continue to elucidate a, a deeper understanding of precisely what this means. Uh, yes, it is fairly straightforward, but you go back 30 or 40 years and it wasn't a, a term that people were considering. So good for the listeners to have some familiarity with the context. So getting back to Serbia, you know, China has identified that Serbia is to be its primary partner thus far in the region. Um, what are the factors that are driving that? Um, you know, there, there are other places, other countries where China could have engaged. Um, they chose to, to work with Aleksandr Vucic. Mm -hmm. How did this come about? Mm -hmm. 
That's a perfect question, but it's quite harder to answer. <laughs> uh, you know, if I if I'm about to say it very shortly, I think it's this attraction between uh, between uh, authoritarian regimes. Because as, as we probably go through it uh, in next minutes of, of our podcast, uh, it's, it's seen that, you know, even in these in this cooperation projects I, I have investigated and partly with my colleagues also, uh, we have seen that, you know, the authoritarian or illiberal uh, way of thinking is reinforced somehow through this project. So I think, you know, Part of this, you know, uh, thinking of China, whom to choose in the Balkans, is the openness of the regime of Alexander Vucic to uh, their influence, um, or or the cooperation. Let's not name it uh, malignly as influence for now. But from the uh, from the you know, on the other hand, from the other point of view, uh, Serbia historically was a balancer state between the east and the west, and Till these days, officially, Serbia has a four-pillar uh, foreign policy oriented uh, to US, to EU, to Russia, uh, naturally, and to China. So they are kind of um, you know, balancing to whom to look for you know, help and cooperation and support and so forth. And increasingly, in the last years or a decade, uh, these four vectors of foreign policy, I guess, is more oriented towards the East. And Chinese and Russians, for example, are not fighting against each other uh, in this regard in Serbia. So there is kind of a synergy also with Russia and so on. So that would be my answer to your question. It would be harder to elaborate maybe for a particular podcast on these historical issues and drivers. But, you know, simply to put, I think it's this attraction between uh, regimes that are not that pro-democratic, let's say correctly. No, no, thank you for that, Yerzi. I mean, very much the way that I've I've viewed the region in my years of working on it is that sort of, you know, there's a proportionate level, the the greater the opacity in the government and how it functions, the more attractive that government is going to be to to China versus a government that is more transparent in how it functions and, and how it serves its people. And, you know, you can kind of look at that and, you know, certainly the way that, you know, Alexander Vucic runs Serbia, I'm going to qualify that as opaque, <laughs> at least in a decision-making process and certainly in respect to accountability. Um, so what has, then let's talk about what is it that, you know, there's all this money that the Chinese have been pouring into Serbia, you know, where is it going? And, you know, how is it, who is it benefiting? Is it benefiting the Serbian people first and foremost? Is it benefiting the Serbian elites? You know, how does, you know, you know what, what's the attraction for them besides just filthy lucre, besides just having some money that's coming into the, uh, into the coffers? So uh, the benefiting of local people is, is a common, you know, discourse and narrative for the political elite uh, in Serbia. But I would a bit question that, whether these projects are benefiting directly uh, the people. You know, the projects in general, I already outlined a, a bit, uh, it's similar across the Balkans, mainly evolve around, you know, infrastructure, building railways, highways, uh, overtaking shares in mines, in metallurgy. It's important for, for Serbia. We'll talk about it probably later. There were, you know, some uh, the, uh, donations, for example, during uh, COVID times 
of the Sinopharm vaccine, the so-called vaccine diplomacy, was quite widespread across the Balkans, both from Russia and from China. So, so the projects evolved mainly about, let's say, these infrastructural projects and industry. The rest is, in my opinion, a, a bit less important, or at least it has a lesser share in the whole uh, bunch of the projects. So let's say infrastructure and, and industry. So that's it. Okay, so returning then to the issue of environmental degradation and harm, you know, some of the projects that, that you and I were discussing earlier this morning, um, you know, respect in respect to the Smenderevo steel mill, um, the RTB bore copper smelter, you know, what's the what's the level of impact, uh, the negative level of impact that they're having on their communities? And and are the Serbs that are being exposed to the, the detriments of, of this industry, how are they responding? Mm-hmm. Well, yeah, you outlined outlined uh, maybe the the foremost, uh, you know, let's say degraders of uh, Serbian environment. Uh, you know, from the point of the environment security, we we are on the local level. This is not something that directly, of course, in 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 some it uh, affects uh, you know global biosphere, but we are mostly uh, focused on on the local level in in the analysis. You you mentioned, for example, Smederevo uh, and 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 Bohr and, and these things. You know, in these two particular cases, which are two of five largest polluters uh, in in Serbia, uh, the people, local people, are are affected uh, purely directly because they reported that they see you know yellowish uh, uh, air made by sulfur dioxide uh, by their naked eye. Uh, there was report. There, there were reports about red uh, dust coming from the chimneys, from the uh, steel mill. That was that the locals were not able to uh, to wash off their properties and so on and so forth. So some of the local NGOs took a look at it and they discovered, after you know chemical and biological analysis, that these pollutants, uh, uh, you know, contain arsenic, uh, zinc dioxide sulfur dioxide and all these things that are cancers, that cause cancerous diseases. And now there, there were reports, uh, for example, in, in the Bohr uh, copper mine, um, which, by the way, uh, sits uh, on some largest copper reserve in the world, which is quite uh, interesting, you know, from the strategic point of view that China owns this, uh, this, uh, this big uh, copper mine. But um, anyway, um, back, to the, back to the increase of the cancerous diseases in the city of Bor in last years that were reported by, by the Serbian health agency and so on. So the, the, the impact is quite direct. And we can go more into detail, for example, and to another uh, Chinese-owned company in Zrenyanin, uh, the Shandong Klinglong Tar Company, Tar Processing Plant, which uh, was <laughs> built on the, you know, on the plot which was given to, to China for free uh, from Serbia. Serbia also paid the construction or subsidized the construction with some uh, 75 million of euro. So Chinese just came and <laughs> built the company. But the thing in Zerianin is that there is no uh, wastewater uh, processing plant. 
So basically what's, what happens there is that all the water, all the processed and wasted water from the company was released to the local river. Uh, so uh, there were, and you asked, you asked also to address the last part of the question very quickly. There were protests. These, of course, triggered protests uh, organized mainly by local NGOs and, and some other other institutions. They're managed also thanks to you know uh, the attention of international press and transnational organizations to to make the companies reduce their production and so on and so forth. But the problem is that also the local you know uh, local governments are not really keen to you know press these companies to fulfill these obligations stated by law. There are many cases that the law is completely overlooked or the agreement between Serbia and China violates Serbian law and so on and so forth. So I don't want to, you know, confuse my answer is too long at now. But this this issue is complicated. But to put it simply, there is a direct impact on the health of local people, of course, also on the health of the local workers there, which are not uh, always uh, locals, but maybe Chinese and uh, Vietnamese people bring to work there. And yep, the people see it, but the question is what can they do? Because, you know, the social resilience or the, you know, whole civic society in Serbia is kind of uh, weak, let's say, thanks to the authoritarianism. No, indeed, it's certainly an authoritarian trending government there. Uh, you know, but I, I like that you raised the point about, you know, for example, that like, one of the world's largest copper deposits is in Serbia. You know, I think that there's there's a bit of a conundrum in the Western Balkans, certainly since the, the financial crisis of 2008, 2009, where money dried up and the Chinese showed up with bags of it. And if there's not funding coming from anywhere else, um, you know, it's very difficult when you have a, a, a firm show up and they say, hey, you know, we want to we want to build a tire plant here. And, you know, for, for all of the issues surrounding environmental and human security, People need jobs. And, you know, as a politi elected political leader, you know, trying to balance those concerns, um, that 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 is no easy feat. But it also it raises the question sort of, you know, is is all Chinese economic engagement, be it financial or commercial, malign? Well, probably it isn't, right? I was trying to take a look purely and on these, you know, let's say, environmental issues and the transparency and so forth. And, and from that point of view, it's largely malign. I would not say completely, but uh, to, to maybe briefly also in context of this question address what you have said, uh, that they uh, popped up with bags of money. This is also an answer to our previous question, how did they show up there in Serbia? Because we... I mean, the Euro-Atlantic community or let's say European Union, we put conditionalities on our engagement anywhere. You know, you have to fulfill this, 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 and then we, you know, give you money. Chinese, they, they don't. And that's the simple mathematics of these projects, which, you know, switches a lot of, uh, a lot of let's say, the attention across the Balkans. But in Serbia, it's multiplied because of what we have spoken about before. It switches the attention there because... The conditionalities are there, but they sometimes are made, you know, classified by the government. Sometimes they are overlooked because, well, we have this law in Serbia, but 
here are Chinese with their money, so let's forget this law for, for example, five years. And these are the real cases. So, uh, yep, and I'm sorry, I forgot the, the original question. No, uh, no, I, no yeah. you're clearly responding to it. I mean, and talking about, you know, how this engagement begins with. The original question was essentially, you know, you know what's pulling them there besides, like, say, I mean, there's, there's interest of having political influence. There's a desire to lock down geolo- uh, geographically an important part of Europe whereby they can transit goods into uh, wealthier European markets. So, you know, there, there, there is all of that, um, you know, that, the, and you helped elucidate your share. Um, but, you know, then we, we talked today a bit about environmental security, but I want to also talk a little bit about human security and how this is being impacted right now um, as a consequence of, of Chinese engagement. And you know, when, we, when we talk about human security issues, particularly let's stick to Serbia, um, human security issues in, in, in that country, or you can go more region. I'll leave it to you whether you want to talk more regionally. But that, you know, where, what is the link between the, the threats to human security and Chinese investment and trade in a country like Serbia or elsewhere in the Western Balkans? Once again, if we start to talk simply, it's through the, the environmental uh, security because it's of okay. course uh, affects local people, but uh, you know this is one one side of the coin, and we have kind of talked about it like you know all these pollutants and and waters and air pollution, making Serbia one of the most polluted country in the world actually and the most polluted in Europe according to last wow. year's last year's uh, uh, measures. Sometimes Belgrade was more polluted than New Delhi, for example. Uh, so this is this is one link, one side of the coin. But the other side of the coin lies within these uh, corporations and these plants and, and uh, you know, construction works and so on. Uh, what What's happened there? And it also answers your, your previous question, whether it brings something positive to the people is that uh, on most of these, uh, you know, during reconstructions of steel mills and, and copper mines and so on, the people who work there are mainly not Serbs, but it's a foreign labor force brought from China or from Vietnam. And these people, uh, you know, according to Ser- some Serbian lawyers, uh, these people were even human trafficked into to work in Serbia. They came to Serbia probably on some good offer, but after coming there, they were, uh, you know, confiscated their travel documents. They were forced to sign blank, uh, you know, work agreements. So they didn't, they didn't know what they are signing. And then it occurred that, for example, some of them, uh, you know, were forced to work uh, 14 hours a day, or like 12 hours a day was the normal work plus plus uh, two hours of going to the side of the work and back. That's according to uh, direct witnesses, uh, you know, testimonies. Or these people were banned from free movement outside of their barracks. Or they were forbidden to, to seek medical treatment even if, if COVID-19 disease spread across, across, their, uh, across the facility they were uh, housed, right? So this is also, you know, the other side of the coin. And in general, there are more things we should be, we as a West or transatlantic community should be concerned. It's probably 
the dig uh, digital security because China also implements, you know, projects regarding so-called safe city or smart city uh, projects in in, uh, in Serbia. And once again, we know it from China and from their very, uh, you know, good, like good in quote marks, a surveillance system, which now is partly being implemented in Belgrade, where uh, more than 8,000 HD cameras with facial recognition are being implemented and so on and so forth. So this raises also ethical questions that directly impact the human security, in my opinion. So. Once again, as everything, and you know it better than me in the Balkans, it's very complicated, it's very complex, but this, this, the, the coin is not double-sided, it's maybe five or ten-sided. Ten no, indeed. Well, you know, yes, and, and there's definitely a lot of uh, onion layers to be peeled when we're talking about the Western Balkans. Um, but you know, certainly, in you know, it's it's funny these terms like you know the the, the digital city, the smart city. Um, the last time I checked, neither digital nor smart are synonymous with surveillance, which is essentially what they're they're providing in cooperation with the Ministry of Interior and police forces. So, in a trend, authoritarian trending state. So, um, you know, we'll see how that bears out for the citizens of Serbia. So, we talked a lot about Serbia. Um, let's talk a little bit about, so, you know, we, we began by recognizing that the bulk of these funds, the bulk of this engagement is happening in that particular country. But China has been engaged elsewhere in the region, um, you know, all, likewise, since uh, since the early 2010s. And, you know, what are some where are some of those countries or what are some of those countries? And, you know, how has that engagement reflected the experience of Serbian communities that find themselves you know, in a city like, you know, Smederevo, where they actually are going to be uh, subjected to the kind of the pollution that, that you that you shared with us. Mm -hmm. You know, these projects, as we name them in, in Serbia, are quite similar across the Balkans. It evolves mainly around the infrastructure, uh, thermal plants, or in general plants, be the hydropower, which are then probably built somewhere illegally or thermal plants, mining, and so on and so forth. So within this cluster of, you know, how the projects look like, it's kind of similar across the Balkans. There are a few, ex few exceptions. One is obviously Kosovo, because China doesn't recognize Kosovo and begs, begs uh, Russian and, and Serbian approach in this, uh, also in, in the Security Council and uh, various votings in the UN and so on. Uh, second, let's say less less obvious, but uh, but still exemption is Albania. Uh, I was not focusing directly on Albania, so I can't be hundred percent sure. But I read a few articles that that were uh, headlined very you know popularly that Albania is China free since two thousand sixteen, because uh, Albanian government realized they are purely pro Western oriented, so they start to push, you know, much pressure in terms of, you know, taxes, like overseeing how they fill up taxes and so on and so forth in Albania. They were uh, they were having shares of, uh, at that time, only international airport in Tirana, and they just started to pressure them out. So the Chinese said, well, this is not our business, like we don't want to do this anymore, and they left. I think there are now some minor investments of China. But I was not focusing there. Mm -hmm. 
but to you know to be once again particular on the matters. Uh, for example, there are uh, thermal plants uh, in Bosnia and Herzegovina where the pollution situation and the investment pattern and how do they behave. It's quite a similar to what we have talked about regarding uh, Serbia. Very famous uh, example, and you, you mentioned it very correctly when we uh, we were talking earlier this morning, is, is Montenegro. I think if, if no one knows of China and its involvement uh, in the Western Balkans, and, you, and we mentioned Montenegro, the people will start to realize. Because Montenegrins, uh, you know, uh, now or uh, last year, I, last year or in two, 2020 i'm not sure right now they owed china uh, 105% of their gdp they took a loan from two years ago right uh, they took took a loan from uh, chinese export import bank chinese came to build a highway connecting montenegro with belgrade serbian belgrade and there was i think six years uh, period uh, without uh, you know increasing the interest rate, the interest rate was two percent or something like that, and it, it has ended. And from 2019 and on, then realized that for from some 78, 79 percent of uh, debt to GDP ratio, then turn up to this 105 percent or something. So these are these are scenarios all across the Balkans, and maybe it's also the question for Serbia. If they one day decide not to, you know, be in line with Chinese uh, Chinese wills and wishes and their worldview of, of the world order, because what China wants is, you know, to reshape the whole world order uh, in line with its own wishes and wills. If and if one day, uh, for example, Serbia has pro-Western government, it's kind of utopia for now, but maybe one day it will come. Uh, and they stra- they start you know to to go on the law to be precise you know checking the, all these agreements refusing those that are not you know beneficial for their people and China says okay now you have to start paying back what happens next so that that's no, that's uh, the main answer was the danger of of China in the Balkans. Like you know, it's not no, some really. kind of hybrid warfare or something. It's it's kind of, I will you know, that will be kind of uh, you know dangerous for me to label it like that. But China uses these countries, and we see it in Africa and how African countries, for example, walked in the United Nations. Those who have uh, ex- investments from China, uh, China uses these countries to you know to reshape the world order. To, to make the interdependence on China because countries started, the West started realizing that China is not that partner, you know. We still want to negotiate, but for example, this year for the first time, NATO named in this in its concept that China is an, our adversary. No, I, I like very much how you sort of outlined that essentially like what, what can be viewed from Belgrade as an economic opportunity is really a chance for economic coercion down the road. And that's exactly what you've know, seen in, in Africa and elsewhere, the, the hardball that, that China is willing to play once its, its money is in the game. You know, I think that we we're getting near the end of our podcast, but I think we would be remiss if we didn't consider a little bit about the impact of the war, uh, the Russo-Ukrainian war and what that means for the Serbian economy and China's engagement there as, as Russian sanctions or sanctions against Russia have increased and to the degree that you know, Serbia 
either successfully or fails to kind of walk the line between, you know, these four pillars that you talk about with, you know, Europe and the European Union and, and America being on one side. And then, of course, Russia and China being on the well, the Democratic side and Russia and China being on the authoritarian side. Um, I would assume that there's a, in fact, I don't assume I'm well aware that there has been a reduction in the engagement of Russian business or they've, you know, they build shell companies or what have you. But the point is, is that, you know, because of these sanctions, investment and economic engagement will diminish. Is that just more space for China to fill? And does that then put Serbia on even a, a more difficult path to pivot back towards the transatlantic community if things were to eventually change there, say, maybe 5, 10, 15 years down the road? Mm, very tough one. Uh, uh, you know, what I think uh, is that we, we we have to take a look at what what's the, you know, what's the essence of these Chinese Serbian and and Russian Serbian relations. You know, in, in case of China, it's the purely the economy, I guess, or mainly the economy. There is nothing like church or something like that, which is the case of Russia. There is much of this, you know, sentiment for for pan-Slavic nationalism, church alignment, Serbian Orthodox Church alignment towards the the, the, the Moscow or, or or Russian Orthodox Church. So yes, there there is the decline. That's true, but that doesn't mean that that you know the relation between Serbia and and Russia is now let's say colder, and that that does it it does make space. For, for China, in my opinion. I, I'm not 100% sure. Of course, in certain share, definitely, if some businesses uh, left, if they are attractive for China, I think they will do it because they, you know, they are not the classical politicians as we know them from Eastern and Central Eastern, Southern Europe, whatever. They don't need their profit right now. Like, now our elections, we need the political points. They they have you know longitudinal strategy. This this all these economic things are longitudinal. And whether they will want how it will end with Russia and whether it makes more space for for them. If so, I think they will grasp it definitely. They will be, yeah. they will be dumb if not <laughs> like. Yeah. Speaking yeah. realistically, no, I, like. I would do it too if I were the dictator. No, no, that, 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 that's a great point. I mean, they're going to look for opportunities one way or the other. It's just, you know, there, there are that many more of them. And my fear for, you know, the potential of a future democratic, genuinely democratic Serbia is the one that you outlined precisely. It's, you know, you, someone's got, got to pay the bank back at some point. So look, um, you know, we've gone over a little bit, everyone. Thank you so much for joining us today, Yuzhin Yemets. This was a great conversation. I'm so glad that we were able to help shine a light on issues around environmental security and, and largely speaking, human security and how China negatively impacts that, not just in Serbia, throughout the region and the implications of that and what it means for these countries, their ability to engage in the transatlantic community and what it means for national security as well as transatlantic security. So speaking of security, if you're interested in security issues and you're interested in the kind of topics and questions that have been raised today, we strongly suggest that you follow European Value Center, EVC, on social media. Go visit, visit its website, sign up for things like Kremlin Watch, and you'll get all the lowdown on, unfortunately, all the malign stuff that these authoritarian states try to do in, uh, in Europe's backyard. Um, Yuri, once again, thank you very much, and I wish you all a good day. 
Thank you, Richard, and thanks to our listeners for listening to us.